0: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we're talking about the cult classic that still feels relevant 20 years after its release, Donnie Darko. We discuss how our interpretations of its cryptic story have changed over the years and debate the original cut versus the director's cut. Donnie Darko. Hmm. That that name it sounds like a superhero. I know. What kind of name is that? What kind of name is that? You're weird. You're (laughs) weird, Chris, to come up with
0: a name like that. Sly smile on my face. (laughs) Should we just act out the whole movie? I would love to act out Sparkle Motion with you. Where are you going? (laughs) Uh, I don't know my (laughs) lines. oh and she goes i'm going home i'm going home
1: she looks at him bewildered like going home dude like where do you think i'm going i'm a kid
0: what is this i just told you you i
1: have to study for this test
0: (sighs) it's funny how this movie at times feels just like a a high school film (laughs) doesn't it feel like a high school film throughout the whole thing i mean yeah (laughs) it's a high school movie it's a high school movie. It's just, I think about it, I go back and forth because whenever I think about the movie, I think about the big highbrow concepts mm-hmm. and the uh, the philosophical stuff that it's introducing. But then whenever I go back and rewatch it, <laughs> it's like a teen rom-com superhero. Hmm, yeah.
1: I, I, I guess when I think about like the philosophical concepts, I think about the high school stuff. To me, this movie is kind of all about Being a teenager and like kind of looking ahead and the world being scary and the future being scary, you know?
0: (laughs) There's definitely an element of fear, you know? Yeah, it's kind of there. Fear and love. (laughs) As I'm bopping around, how old was Richard Kelly when he made this? I know he
1: was, he was a kid. I mean, the the whole, I mean, part of the reason I love this movie and we'll get into it, but uh, it's essentially made by a kid who wanted to write and direct nobody wanted him to direct it and he kind of like forced his way through um and just like all the hoops he had to go through and all the ideas that he had and the fact that like this movie was born from like this young nobody who who just had a crazy idea and like motivated someone as famous like Drew Barrymore to like push for the movie to be made it was just it's incredible that I feel like this kind of thing doesn't really happen anymore. Like there's a system set up for like young directors now, you know? Um, but Richard Kelly, is kind of a, he kind of
0: diy it. Yeah. It's uh, the background on it has always kind of fascinated me. I mean, that this movie exists at all has always totally. kind of fascinated me. It, and it almost didn't exist. Like it kind of bombed
1: when it came out and nobody saw it and it, and it found the second life.
0: Yeah, the box office was 7.5 million on a 4.5 million dollar budget. And uh, is that the domestic box office? Uh that's
1: I don't because know. I believe when it originally came out, um it kind of like it kind of sunk in the water It unfortunately came out right after 9/11. Um you know, with like the plane engine and everything like it just didn't have a great release and oh nobody wanted to buy it at sundance everyone thought it was like too weird and as far as i know it it kind of failed domestically but then was loved in the uk which doesn't surprise me at all that like the uk loves this depressing ass movie Uh, (laughs) and it just like kind of found a second life that way at least that's how i understand the
0: story Uh, i feel like there's probably something interesting too about like uh, i feel like cultures tend to be really fascinated by each other's high school experiences yeah right because it's such a, a common touch point for everybody like we all kind of go to school but the school in different cultures is so different and i could just imagine like 2001 2002 2003 like people from the uk being like is this what high school's like in america yeah all right i got the it, bo numbers yeah On it's depressing isn't it opening weekend a hundred and ten thousand dollars, which uh <laughs> not like a wide release. I no. think this, the peak was only fifty-eight theaters. So, like, but the theatrical run in total was five hundred thousand. Yeah, that's insane, isn't it? five
1: hundred thousand after reissues, it made all it made the seven
0: million. Yeah, which who knows when the reissues happened? Well, it, it, after
1: it kind of found a second life in the UK, people kind of started getting obsessed with it, and. This was back when, like, I remember the Blair Witch Project, project did this. It was back then when um, th- there was this period where you could create a website, you know, one of those, like, old-school shitty websites for a movie. Angel Fire. Yeah. And, like, you could go on the website and you could, like, they had all these clues hidden. You could, like, find out more about the movie. And it, it kind of had, like, that – it was born from that kind of cult mentality of getting people obsessed about these little things and, like, not understanding the movie completely. And the lore built around it to the point where it did start getting these reissues, and another um, film studio came in and helped like release a DVD with the director's cut and everything, and like they wanted to push the movie as this like this oddity, and people latched
0: onto it. When do you remember hearing about it for the first time? Like, what's your history with Donnie Darko? Um, So I didn't really get into movies
1: until my freshman year of high school. I think kind of heading in or sorry, of of college. Um, Like I I always I watched a lot of movies as a kid, but I wouldn't say like it was just more that like my dad really liked movies and like they were always on. Uh, But I didn't get into like movie movies, you know, like the important movies, like The Godfather, you know, all that kind of stuff. Until my freshman year of college, and and I think probably perusing around the IMDb top two hundred and fifty, I'm sure Donnie Darko is on there, and just hearing about like this weird movie where like you know it's like Jake Gyllenhaal, one of his first movies, and it's just this really strange time travel sci fi kind of thing, and my guess is I watched it back then because I was watching anything I could get my hands on back then and not doing schoolwork, and <laughs> not going out just watching movies um and i would imagine i i watched it around then i i always had a fondness for it early on um but didn't really become a bigger fan until i met my wife who i would have met in 2008 and she loved it and because through her i've just seen it so many times since then
0: I had no idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Loves this movie. I, uh, I remember being in high school. So I started high school in 2001 and that means the movie had just come out recently and it was a friend of a friend. Oh, wow. uh, Tommy, who I think was talking about it one day and uh, I don't know why. Maybe I had talked about Fight Club. I would talk about Fight Club a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> as somebody that suffered from insomnia in high school. Sure. And like, all oh, these movies that, like, you can't sleep. And somehow that got on to these, like, twisty, mind-bendy movies. And Donnie Darko came up. And the name, it's still such a... It's so catchy. It, uh, I mean, he
1: is trying to make a superhero. Like, it. it's supposed to have that energy.
0: Yeah it it works <laughs> and he gave me a burned copy of the movie wow tommy did you were there early so, yeah so if i didn't have the dvd i had a burned cd mm-hmm. i remember those days played on my playstation 2 I think. <laughs> yeah um and i ended up watching it that way and i'm pretty sure i watched it you know, one night when it was, like, one in the morning and just being completely... (laughs) Best way to do it. Yeah, blown away by what the hell I had just watched. Like, because at that point, I was just starting to understand movies on a deeper level. I think it was the trio at this point of seeing Fight Club, American Beauty, and Donnie Darko (laughs) Mm -hmm. all kind of at once and being like, Oh, this is way different than the movies that I've been going to watch and see. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, those and were the kinds of movies
1: I was referring to, like the the sort of movies you would watch. I was heading into college and realizing that all of these different kinds of movies existed.
0: Yeah, I was at that point just kind of seeing whatever the latest comedy was, latest action flick, just right. all the blockbusters. Adam
1: Sandler. Every time Adam Sandler came out for a movie, I was there in the theater.
0: Yeah. 1000 still am, but you know, <laughs>
1: back then that's all I watched.
0: Uh, so there was definitely like an awakening when it came to this film, but in Mad World blew my mind. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. W- when that scene first happened, I just remember being amazed. And... Man,
1: I uh, I actually, oh wow, this is like therapy, like something was just triggered in me. Um, d- did you know the song Mad World? Before the movie? I don't mean the cover. I mean
0: the original. No, yeah. It was, uh, I had never heard, i didn't even know this was a cover. You didn't know that until just now? Just now. Oh, I'm going to blow your mind,
1: Chris. Okay. You're going to love this. Oh, Chris, I know you so well. You're going to love this. Okay. First, the memory though. Um, I remember it must, so yeah, I must have watched this movie my freshman year of college because there was this kid on my floor and I won't say his name. And if, God forbid, he ever hears this, he'll probably know I'm talking about him. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, people change. I'm sure you're great now. And I i know I was a little shit then, too. So, like, whatever. People, are, people go through things and change. But it, I'm going to tell the story about it. he was just the most annoying person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> he was my friend's roommate. And, like god I don't know why like everything he said kind of irked me and like he would always kind of challenge me maybe he <laughs> maybe that's why like maybe he was kind of prodding me a little bit like I was a Chicago Bulls fan and he was a Cavaliers fan um and that was like back it. when LeBron was you know just th- no matter how good the Bulls were like LeBron would beat them in the playoffs and like you'd go home empty-handed um Although I would play him in the, whatever NBA game he had and I always plays the Bulls and he would get so pissed because all I would do is shoot threes because like <laughs> Kirk Heinrich and Ben Gordon, like uh, even Lou Dane could hit a three once in a while. Uh, so like I would just like post guys up in the perimeter and like shoot threes the whole time. And all he would do is drive down the middle of the lane as LeBron and dunk. <laughs> and we just went back and forth doing that until one of us started to pull away. Anyway, this, this is all very pertinent to the story. Um, just to create a, an atmosphere of how much I did not like this person. And this is your tangent universe. Yes, exactly. Um, and I remember specifically once I was lying in my bed, and I, of course, I love the Gary Jules version of Mad World, uh, but the original version, which is done by Tears for Fears, uh, which is a band I absolutely love, I have always loved. Um, people made fun of me for liking Tears for Fears, but I still like them, <laughs> which I guess that was a kind of a preview of my life going forward. Um, and I just remember saying like sitting in my bed, listening to Mad World by Tears for Fears. And he, this kid comes in and he's like, what's this? Cause he knows the Gary Jules version because we've all seen Donnie Darko and we all like Donnie Darko i was like it's tears for fears man like this is and i was like this is the better version and he was like this sucks you know he <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> telling me the song sucks i was like fuck you <laughs> just sitting there seething um so yeah the, i just have a specific memory of that so i must have seen Danny Darko then but that is really beautiful right that you know uh, the song that appears at the end of the movie it's it's a sort of respite at the end of the movie after Donnie has sacrificed himself and all these people are crying and the song's playing. It's a cover of a tears for fear song. And there's a tears for fear song famously in this movie. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the the name of it. The, the song that appears at the head over heels. Um, so like there's this update of an 80 song at the end of the movie, but it's like, it's a cover. It's this modern version suddenly. And it feels like this it, it it feels like we're stepping into like a new world kind of because we actually are. Uh it, it feels like it's kind of looking forward and into something new and it, it just feels so appropriate and poetic that we're getting this cover of an eighty song that is just really stripped down acoustic version, you know?
0: I I do you're right, I do love this because <laughs> The fact that the whole film is the tangential universe, uh, yeah. which is a you know, a, a side creation to the prior right. universe based on a glitch that occurs. Uh, it's kind of a copy. Yeah. Uh, having a cover of a song at the end of the movie is very fitting in that way that the cover is kind of a, a copy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and the coolest part of that is that wasn't really planned. Uh, they didn't have a song for the end of the movie. There was just supposed to be score. But the guy that hired to do the score, like just came up with this idea and had his friends sing the song. They sent it in They were like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> it, it's just an amazing, like, what an incredible thing that this guy did this without even knowing the head over heels. Is, he, he probably is. Well, maybe he does know. Maybe he maybe he found it poetic now that I'm thinking about it. But still, like to, to have that idea and to put to the and now it's like kinda it's one of those songs where like you could never hear the song without thinking of the end of the movie. And you could never like no other song could
0: ever work at the end of the movie like this one could. It's incredible. It has that same energy as Fight Club and Where's My Mind. Yeah, right. Where it just kind of defines the movie and in turn the movie comes to define the song. Right. Yeah,
1: totally. Or uh, Wise Up and Magnolia, if I can reference a 1999 Travis
0: movie. (laughs) Of course you can. Of (laughs) course you can. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so?
1: Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are
0: waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh so we watched the director's cuts, mm-hmm. but then also the theatrical cuts. <laughs> I kind of—I feel like I kind of forced you to watch the theatrical cuts. Yeah, I'm glad you did because I go back and forth on which one I like better Mm. because i had just watched the theatrical cut until i wrote about the movie a few years ago and when i wrote about the movie i watched the director's cut for the first time and (laughs) was kind of blown away by the extra layers of nuance that it added i mean and it's not even all nuance some of it is just like outright blatant i would say i would say it's more blatant than nuance yeah, but there is like a there's little more. bit more. There's more. Like the whole conversation about the rabbits, I think, is <sighs> really important. Yeah. I like to that film. Scene. And, but this time watching the director's cut. So when I wrote about it, I watched it. I kept re watching it because there were all these little things to figure out. And this is yeah. one of those movies that, like, I never really felt certain about and felt like I could explain well. And having watched the director's cut, I was like, oh, it's because half the information that you need just isn't in the movie. (laughs) Hmm. There's implications of it, but I don't think there's any way to really pin down that there's a tangent universe. Um, You kind of get the impression of it when everybody's like waking up and you see them being like, oh, I experienced this thing or sobbing or seeing a little freaked out. It raises the question. You're maybe like, oh, maybe that was a dream or something, but a full-on tangent universe right is uh you'd be having to make like a huge <laughs> a huge reaching pitch for that yeah so the director's cut i really appreciated for the fact that it answered so many of the questions that i had lived with for nearly 20 years of my life right, yeah but rewatching it this time it felt a lot more indulgent And a lot slower and i understood why people didn't like it as much Mm -hmm. um especially then watching the director's cut and being like oh this or the the theatrical cut and being like oh this flows so smoothly yeah yes
1: (laughs) that's my big thing like i I agree like i actually i think i went from a sort of abject despisal of the director's cut just because of what it represented. And in a lot of senses, it represents like the opposite of what I want from movies. Like the fact that we need to see pages from the book to understand the movie. (laughs) Like I just get, I just get so mad even thinking about that, that that anyone would (laughs) think that's necessary. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, we were texting about this movie once me, you and Jordan. Um, And I said something along the lines of, I don't know. I prefer the ambiguity of time travel in the original. And I remember you getting kind of annoyed maybe a little bit Um, and saying like, I don't know about annoyed, but just like in a very crisp response, like you can't understand the movie unless you understand like the nuances of the time travel. (laughs) Um, And I guess I, I understand that in a way. And this time, watching the director's cut, I was a lot more sympathetic towards it, and even liked a lot of the scenes. I think a, a lot of some of the scenes are really great and could have been in the movie. Um, you've already noted the the Watership Down scene, or what is the name of that? Yeah, Watership Down. Um, yeah. And the scene with his dad, um, where his dad's like drinking whiskey outside, you know, and yeah. and he says like they're all bullshitters. Like that was such a great moment because. The movie's all about these these disparate forces, like, trying to control Donnie and make, make him conform and think it a certain way. And um, in in that very, like, Joseph Campbell way, like, everybody's kind of a mentor, you know? Um, everybody is, like, a lesson about a certain way you could be or live. And, um, you know, you've got politics and you've got, like, self-help and you've got this very Republican, like conformity sort of thing. And then you have his dad who is just like, who represents this, no, you don't need any of that. Just like be yourself, you're not crazy. Um, it was like a really beautiful element to add to all that. And it like helped, it was a nice to ha- him that, for Donnie to have a moment with his dad too. In um, that moment with his mom where he says his brain isn't broken, like that was so good. Um, but beyond that, a lot of the scenes are just like, extra. Um, yeah. We talk a lot about math in the show, Chris, and (laughs) like this. when I was thinking about this, it was making me think of our math discussions where like, you know, in a math equation, more is more. (laughs) (laughs) One plus one is two and two is more than one. Um, But in this movie, like that's my thing about movies, like more isn't necessarily more Um, like having all that information. It's funny because you you're right having all the information of the director's cut like does pin things down and make things exact which i like having so that's why like i liked watching the director's cut this time because i'm a fan of the movie and like i have this thing now that i can reference and it's it's just weird it's like a tangent universe of the the old movie like it's kind of cool to have you know um but it's not in my mind like it doesn't help me understand the movie more necessarily. Like just because it's pinned down these things and made things exact, you know, when I was learning about stuff like the tangent universe, or even at the end when people are crying, it's not like that information that I learned about why that's happening. It wasn't necessarily new to me. Like the information's new, but like the way it made me feel wasn't new. Like I still, I kind of understood it all emotionally and that's all that really, mattered to me in the first place so adding more to this movie and like you said like kind of slowing things down and making things less efficient it kind of ruins the groove and flow of the movie in a way that actually in turn makes all of that information it's telling me a little less powerful <laughs> because it makes the movie not work as well you know
0: yeah which is I mean it's 20 minutes it's that's a lot 20 minutes is a lot yeah it's the theatrical the credits start at like an hour 47 seven. Uh-huh. and in the director's cut it's uh 240 or 207 yeah about that so i yeah 20 minutes is a huge amount of extra stuff and as you said there's like the scene with his dad can be pretty nice mm. it gives some of the actors a bit more to do and you get to see a bit more of them it reminds me of in vanilla sky uh what's his face who directed vanilla sky cameron Crowe? um cameron crow said that he wishes he could have spent more time or giving kurt russell more to do yeah uh, having rewatched the movie like he would have included more <laughs> kurt russell and i could see the appeal of that especially with the dad in this movie being so interesting yeah um who is the dad in this uh let's see darko Eddie Darko, oh. Holmes Osborne. What a name. Yeah. Wow. Uh, He's in Southland <laughs>
1: Tales. I love that. I, I love that Richard Kelly just like keeps working with the same people. I still haven't seen Southland Tales. Oh, interesting. We, we should cover it because I, I, it does kind of a... Richard Kelly by nature, I think, because of Donnie Darko, has a bit of a following. And I actually yeah. saw Southland Tales um, back when they re there was a director's covet covet, cut of it that came out and they were showing it in a small theater in Minneapolis. And I went to it and Richard Kelly actually opened and, and talked to the crowd and shit. It was cool. Whoa. Um, but that's a movie I've never loved. Like I love Richard Kelly and I think like he has cool and interesting ideas, but to me it was a movie that didn't work, but I'm kind of interested to revisit it. And I wonder if like, I should just revisit it, write about it, and we should talk about it in this show, <laughs> and just so I can work out all my feelings about this movie.
0: <laughs> I would be down for that. Yeah. Um, it seems like something that would either really work for me or really fail for me. It's, it's <laughs> but, a really weird movie, even like compared to Donnie Darko. It's pretty weird. Uh, I found the text messages, by the way. Oh yeah, it says. You said, uh, it's not even remotely interesting to me. It's the opposite of interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Again, abject despisal. I said, how dare you? You (laughs) said, I know I'm bad. I prefer the ambiguity of time travel. And I said, the time travel becomes part of a larger statement on simulation theory. As if that's a great point. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Rather than just a random ambiguous thing. LOL, a very crisp response. (laughs) (laughs) Which I was just thinking, so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was thinking it's uh and then jordan uh said i found it boring obnoxious to the extreme <laughs> yeah you know, oh but i think he's talking about something else oh yeah i remember that conversation though because
1: i uh, it, we didn't really get into it but over the years i've seen donnie Darko so many times again because my wife loves it and it's this movie I love revisiting. Like, I really fall into the energy of this movie. And I feel like I really know the people. And I love being part of this cryptic universe. Like, it's just so cool. I, I think the p- a powerful part of the movie, and again, why I don't necessarily love the director's cut, is I think part of the not knowing is the power of the movie. That there aren't answers. Because there aren't answers in life. And um, I, I just like that element of it. Uh, where was I going? Oh, but I remember that this particular conversation you we were all having together it was because i had bought donnie darko on 4k from arrow who does pretty much the best 4k releases and they had a bunch of like cool supplemental material which i actually watched and read for this podcast i mean why else do i buy this shit like i gotta read it and watch it all eventually it was kind of nice to be able to do that um but i just remember watching the director's cut and it was the first time and i didn't watch the original cut i i only had watched the director's cut uh, on 4k. And I remember thinking like, Oh, this movie like doesn't work. Like I thought it did. My, my immediate thought was like, this movie didn't age well. Like despite me loving it, it hasn't aged well. Um, and it wasn't until this watch for this podcast that I realized that no, it was just because I watched the director's cut, like the original cut. It, it It's still, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. Honestly, like it just, it feels incredible. It doesn't feel like any other movie.
0: No, it's so unique in terms of I mean it's such a blend of approachable but having these artistic shots and moments yeah. you can tell that the actors had really bought in to the scenes and the performances like having both Gyllenhaals, Jake and Maggie <laughs> is just like an awesome dynamic. Um I've always been super impressed with this movie. Um I one thing that did jump out to me between these two the opening song is different Is it really When when he's riding his bike It is Yeah I I was sitting there like
1: watching it there were just moments where like even though I've seen the original cut so many times I'm like is this different than
0: like I could I could never pick them out you know Yeah I was jumping back and forth between them sometimes uh for the differences and it's like the opening scene in the theatrical I don't know what the song is. I probably should have looked it up. But the last line you hear uh, right when he's getting home is something about fate and being up against your will. So there's hmm. a little bit of a, a a nod there. But then in the director's cut, it's a song about two worlds colliding, uh, which yeah. I thought was... <laughs> Just one of the the changes
1: that ah, makes it super on the nose. That I'm I'm looking at it now. You're right. It is just a different song. I was like, a song always plays at the beginning, but it's just a different song. And yeah, this is another reason why the director's cut is not as good. Is the original cut had Echo and the Bunny Men, and Echo and the Bunny men's one of the best '80s bands ever. So this is the first time I've ever heard of them. Echo and the Bunny Men. Uh, I mean, you, you would know their songs if you heard them. Sure. <laughs> would I? Well, <laughs> I mean. Uh, well, do you know the song from the movie? I mean, that's a song I instantly, instantly recognize. No. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I, 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 I back when um, I was watching a bunch of movies my freshman year of college, I was also listening to a lot of, like, 80s music, a lot of, like, new wave stuff. So, I guess it's funny in thinking about that, all the 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 merging of like liking movies like Donnie Darko and
0: liking music that was in Donnie Darko that's interesting <laughs> yeah what impact did this movie have yeah, in your life crazy uh well so what jumped out to you on this watch if anything I think just
1: again I've seen it so many times but sitting down and watching it for a podcast and thinking about it critically I there was a different uh, energy of me watching it. Like I, maybe I was just a little more aware and attuned to things, but there was, there was one specific moment that I think kind of kickstarted how incredible I thought the movie was. First of all, the, the opening shots, incredible, um, where he's that steady cam going down the, the, the road and finding Donnie Darko in the middle. And, and then that shot of like the specific rim behind him. Did I say specific Pacific rim? Um, it's my lisp coming out. Um, (laughs) It's just so beautiful. But then following that, um, when he goes home and then like the day happens and he wakes up the next night, uh, it's incredible that the movie suddenly has a very different tone and feel after that. Um, And knowing what I know about the movie now, that it, it is this tangent universe and you actually are entering a different world. The fact that the movie kind of was conscious of that and made an artistic decision to make the scene feel different than what we had seen so far because up to that point it kind of felt like it felt like an 80s movie you know it felt like an mtv music video which was cool and is a is a very interesting and important part of the movie and the whole aesthetic but the scene where donnie darko walks outside it's really interesting because um he's walking forward and he walks into the center of the frame like there's suddenly this very formal composition which before that there wasn't you know it's steady cam moving around it's the music video the the dinner scene where it's just like cutting back and forth all of a sudden there's this very different feel with Donnie Darko walking straight into the camera down the center and and he's kind of out of focus and the focus slowly comes in and you see Donnie and he's looking forward and then it fades into frank the bunny who's standing across from him in the golf course who's also in the center of the frame and it's just such like a cool interesting decision that it's something that again is not stated like we don't know that this is the introduction of a tangent universe yet it's filmed that way and we have the sense that something is different like that's the power of art to me when it can convey things visually and powerfully like that Um, so I think from that point forward I was very conscious of like how the movie flowed in and out of that aesthetic and when we were kind of in the real world where like you're just a teenager trying to get by and figure things out and when shit gets crazy you know when you're looking at a bunny in your bathroom and trying to stab him (laughs) like (laughs) it's really cool how the movie moves in and out of that so seamlessly Uh, I I was just so overwhelmed and impressed by just how well that was done I think that's what
0: stood out to me the most (laughs) i uh i got some flack on twitter because i somebody was uh saying barbie was just like a movie about a toy yep and i mentioned something that it was making some like unique and daring choices and all these people are like what's daring about blah blah it has a a truck ad in the middle of it and i'm sitting there thinking about like the formal stuff you're talking about in terms of like unique and daring in terms of it's mixing up shot selections it's mixing up like some of the tone of scenes it's just doing these very small things that you don't get from a lot of movies especially when you watch movies in bulk the Mm. way that like you and i do but like so many people do yeah it's like the more you watch the more you can become a little desensitized to the way in which things become a bit more generic yeah or rote and and that's the thing with donnie darko that always kind of jumps out to me is how fresh it still kind of feels totally it has some of the american beauty magnolia energy to me, there's like kind of a, something about the shots and editing. I would editing say Drive, too. I was kind of thinking about
1: the the clear influence
0: Lynch had on this movie. Yeah, there's just something from that like 1998 to 2002 period mm-hmm. where there's just like a handful of films that have that kind of tone and style about them that I adore. Yeah. Love it. Um, what did that make me... Were you trying I to think, think of the thing you liked the most? Yeah, on this on this rewatch, like the thing that kind of jumped out to me, I guess is still the the rabbit conversation. <laughs> I so I think the director's me, cut. Yeah, that's to me the biggest loss in the theatrical. Is that I think you could cut out all the expositional stuff, mm-hmm. and if you just kept the Deus Ex Machina bunny scene. Yeah. Right. It conveys so much because it does set up the idea of like the God in the machine that you don't otherwise get, which does solve some of the issues that you're having with the movie with just some of the (laughs) the visuals that we get throughout it. And you also then get the more existential conversation where Gretchen talks about how we care about these characters because the storyteller cared about the characters. And that's such a fascinating point to me is that the people we see in the tangent universe may not be who the people are in the primary universe. So Gretchen's whole demeanor, backstory, everything, who she is in the primary universe could be completely different Mm. because everybody in the tangent universe is there to drive Donnie to destroy the tangent universe right so there's something very fascinating to me about spending all this time with these characters and getting to know them only to have the rug pulled out from under you and say you don't actually know any of these people right and who they really are could be completely different from who you saw in that tangent universe um who is the who did beth grant play kitty (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Kitty could be completely normal. She might not be an obsessive, annoying, <laughs> frustrating person. Um, you know, maybe Seth Rogan's like a nice guy. <laughs> uh, that always kind of fascinated me, is that are we supposed to be happy that some of these characters lived? Or are we supposed to be angry that some of these characters aren't facing consequences? Yeah. When we don't actually know who they are in the real world? And it's like, are we relieved that Gretchen's alive at the end of the movie? But is that even the Gretchen that we knew? Should we still be mourning the Gretchen that we had spent time with? The Gretchen from the Tangent Universe. So Donnie takes that very harsh point of, like, these people don't matter. They're just rabbits, and we shouldn't care about them at all. Yeah. While Gretchen takes this very, like, compassionate, vicarious... (laughs) uh, Tone that I think a lot of people that love stories feel uh, when it comes to attachment to characters. While Drew Barrymore takes a much more like deus ex machina philosophical. Yeah. We don't really care about the characters, but we need to look at the point that the characters are serving. Mm. I think that's such a rich vein of adding depth and layers and nuance to the movie that doesn't take up a lot of time as an intriguing scene in and of itself and recontextualizes so much of the movie in a way that I think is helpful that my ultimate cuts <laughs> is just the director's cut with, with that scene thrown in. I can't wait for that cut someday. I know they should let you do it. Arrow. If you're listening, no, I, not
1: Arrow Richard. <laughs> yeah. Or new market. Um, yeah. I, it's as you were talking about that, it, it made me remember that, in that scene towards the end where they're at grandma Def's house and um the bully kid oh i'm not gonna remember his name i know he's the lead singer of phantom planet but that's all i can remember <laughs> i had no idea um yeah who is this guy anyway the lead singer of phantom planet whoever this i don't even remember the bully character's name oh alex greenwald that's right he plays seth um alex Greenwald, who's the lead singer of phantom planet who is that's the band that jason schwartzman is the drummer in and Jason Schwartzman is basically the reason this movie got made, actually, because he originally wanted to kick Jill and Hall's part. And the fact that, like, this hot young kid, you know, this the, the hot new thing in Hollywood who was in Rushmore wants to be in Donnie Darko, like, that's how the script started gaining a lot of traction in the first place. Huh. Um, so it's just like a weird turn of events that Alex Greenwald ended up being in this movie. <cartume> anyway, that scene where he's pinning Donnie down and he's going to cut him. And Donnie says, he says something about deus ex machina.
0: Oh, he does say deus ex machina.
1: Which apparently, in and I remember seeing that in the director's cut and saying like, oh, is that what he says? Like, is this new? Because like this scene feels the same to me. And I'm reading here that in the director's cut, they just make it more clear that he says it. Because <laughs> apparently it was like muffled before.
0: <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. So I agree. That's very important. It's strange because even... If it's just him saying deus ex machina in the director's cut, or the theatrical cut, I don't know. I guess that introduces, but that's something to where putting on my like writer mm-hmm. hats, or editor hat, it's just like you need a little more than just like yeah. one muttered statements I would agree of deus ex machina
1: like my big rep about the director's cut is it just makes things like more efficient and not flow as well but I think keeping that whole watershed down scene like it wouldn't kill the flow of the movie at all like the scene works that's the other thing a lot about about a lot of the director's cut scenes is like they just feel a little plotting sometimes and the, the pace isn't great and it's clear like it wasn't fully worked out and there's a reason they cut it in the first place um, I know that for the director's cut, th- th- when they put out the DVD, you know, when the movie was gaining traction, they, the studio just came to them and said, like, hey, like, let's put in a director's cut. It's not like Richard Kelly wanted a director's cut. <laughs> like, they made all the cuts they made in the first place for a reason. So, like, they were, like, forced to add 20 minutes to the movie, kind of. So, it's not surprising to me that a lot of the scenes in the director's cut just don't really work and are just thrown in. Like, they kind of are fan service in that way. Like, it's just, it's here's more to look at, you know. But this scene yeah. would have been good. I agree.
0: Yeah, it seems like the one thing. I mean, the dad scene I like, but does it feel quite as necessary? No, it's not completely necessary. But I, what was the reaction? I wonder what the reaction to Gyllenhaal's performance was because I, I feel like this had to have been like an immediate. Was he already gaining traction Um, at this point? I mean, I know his first movie was October Sky, and that would have
1: been only a couple years earlier. Um, So I I would imagine, yeah, this was a big role for him, Uh, especially since a lot of young actors were vying for this role, including Jason Schwartzman, who was, you know, the second Rushmore came out, he was huge. I had no
0: idea. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing Rushmore on the Hollywood video (laughs) shelves. Yeah. But I can't remember when I actually watched it or what I thought of it.
1: I uh, haven't seen it in years. It's one I've always like wanted to rewatch. Yeah,
0: I'm. Uh, I'm trying to look at Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal's list of movies. He was in City Slickers. Oh, that's right. He's he's like um he's just like a little kid in the opening. Yeah. So October Sky. Yeah, 1999. Yeah, 99. Wow. Homer Hickam so yeah Donnie Darko really was it was Donnie Darko and Bubble Boy in the same oh, year oh man Bubble Boy yeah I remember I remember the trailer for Bubble Boy and just being like what the hell is this I saw that so many times in Comedy Central really yeah I watched it a lot
1: I've avoided ever seeing it <laughs> it's actually kind of impressive
0: in just how bold it is <laughs> like what, a, what an insane concept uh i well, is there anything that's still like you're not sure of in donnie darko or anything that still is kind of like a, a tension point <laughs> i mean you
1: asked that and like as far as like the logic goes like i don't care so like anything i'm not <laughs> sure of like it doesn't bother me um yeah. is there anything that i just don't i don't know i think the movie's pretty perfect <laughs> <laughs> like even all the way down to the soundtrack. Like I just love a movie for good soundtrack and every song in this movie, you know, chase for fears, echoing the bunny men, joy division, like all these awesome bands in the soundtrack. It, it, it's such an, uh, it's one thing I really, really love about this movie and thinking about that head over heels scene where we're kind of the montage where we're going through the high school. And that scene is still just like, I know it goes without saying, but that scene is incredibly done. Um, it flows so well. It was like perfectly envisioned and carried out exactly how Richard Kelly wanted it, and everything it's doing like serves the movie so well too. Like it's introducing all of these people that will represent um, these forces that are vying for Donnie Darko, like you know you, or or just people that represent the tension of, of high school. Like you've got the bullies you've got uh the girl who is going to be part of like <laughs> this weird album of the movie where like donnie and his friends are just horny you know like they're talking about yeah. smurfs <laughs> and like it's just this it's this really funny like addition to the donnie Darko universe that is normal to a high school movie but is done in a really fun and interesting way um and then you've even got like you've got the who's the the crazy teacher uh Not Kitty, is that her name? Yeah, Kitty. Oh, yeah, Kitty. Um, Who was like fascinated by Jim Cunningham and Cunningham. And you see her introducing Jim to the principal. And like, that's the introduction of his character and like her trying to bring him in. And then right at the same time, like Drew Barrymore and her friend walk up and like they're the liberal teachers that represent like this opposite mentality and are trying to drive kids in another direction. Like it's just so cool how the opening scene kind of navigates through all of that while feeling like an MTV music video, feeling like an eighties movie. Um, it's just such an incredible energy. That's part of this movie. And so essential to the coming and coming of Asianist of it. Uh, Cause the movie really is about a teenager, like about this kid who's just like, he's so afraid of being alone finally having all those questions that we all have around that age of like is there a god like is it's why he latches on the predestination because like it's somebody guiding him and like he doesn't feel alone um it, it's just, and all of these entities that exist around him beyond the philosophical like in the real world that are trying to like pull him in different directions it all just works and coalesces so well like immediately <laughs> because of that uh head over heel scene like it's just so cool that that's all set up and carries out perfectly throughout after that um that you, you asked me to say if there's anything i don't like in the movie all i'm doing is sitting here telling you like what i
0: love about it <laughs> i guess <laughs> i think this movie's perfect like everything after that is just perfect uh, not necessarily what you didn't like but if there was still something that yeah. was kind of like up in the air for you if in there terms is of like having trouble thinking of it um what you were saying though it i think one of the fascinating things like when we stop looking at just like what's the logic of the movie, but really like, what is the movie about? And there is something that it seems like if, if Donnie's going back to the primary universe to get crushed, right? Cause at the, <laughs> at the end, that's essentially what happens is he appears in the bed and we don't know if that's him waking up from his dream and he understands what's about to happen and is just laughing or if it's Donnie from the Tangent Universe, just kind of amazed by what happened and choosing to get crushed. Right. Or if he's just kind of like a maniac <laughs> at totally. that point yeah and like laughing in his bed and gets crushed. Um, but there's something to me about this idea of this understanding of how limited time is, especially something that you feel as like a teenager that you might not there's that sense of like immortality Hmm. but also a sense of maybe none of these things will ever happen for me right and it's like if donnie was going to get crushed by this thing he got to have this tangent universe where he got to fall in love uh, like Uh, loses virginity uh, connect with people like have this moment with his dad have this moment with his mom see his sister doing well it's there's something almost idealistic about it of tying up loose ends to where when he comes back to that moment right before the jet engine falls on him instead of it being this tragic I mean it's still tragic no matter what but instead of it being cutting short all the potential it's like he got to live this other life and experience all of these things. So he wasn't quite as alone or empty at the moment of death as he would have been if the Tangent Universe had it happened. Yeah, There's something fascinating to me about that, about this idea of catharsis or this idea of not being lonely because of these things that you got to experience and what that says about facing death and coming to terms with death wow Hmm. you're making my hair stand on it
1: (laughs) stand on it that's such a like I've always felt that way about the ending but the way you just phrased it and the way it kind of reorients how you look at the whole movie I mean yeah that's really beautiful and it's such an important part of the movie too and Donnie's Discovery that weirdly enough it kind of makes me think of source code which a movie he's in that I just watched and this idea that your legacy goes beyond like your mortal body like it's all about the people you affect and the change you create Um, the, uh, there's some element of that I feel like at the end of Donnie Darko and mixed up in what you've just said and that he, he envisioned this whole universe he sees how things are he sees the impact he could have had and the comfort you have in dying and knowing that, A, there's more. Like, there's more beyond this universe that you don't understand. Like, the fact that he went through this whole time travel scenario, like, screams, like, there's more out there. Like, there's entities and forces beyond your control and bigger than you that you're going to learn all about and whatever the next step is. But also just that, you know, after he dies and, like, there's that ending montage going through everybody... Jane Cunningham, he's a terrible person and he should be punished, but we see him crying in his bed. Like there's he feels like somebody who's tortured. Like he's overwhelmed in that motion in that moment emotionally because he must be a fucked up person to be doing the things he's doing. Like in this new universe, you just kind of see that like while Donnie's not there, like we got a glimpse of like the way things could be or the way people truly are. And This new universe that's going to exist, like Donnie, kind of had an impact on it in a way, like just because of through what we saw and like the way what happened to people and who they became and this kind of new fresh slate they have. I don't know. There is something about all that that's just so. I mean, I am sitting here like there is no answer. I can't explain it, which is again why I love this movie. Like it's just interesting, like to have this new universe and to have all of these crazy new narratives play out that we'll know nothing about and we don't know how Donnie affected them yet at the same time, it feels like Donnie has completely affected them. Like it, it really announces the power of the individual.
0: Yeah. And the way in which you can affect the world around you without people. That's what I always loved about the, the final wave between Gretchen and Donnie's mom. Yeah. Is that they don't know each other in this world. They've never met. I don't even know if they knew each other in the previous one. Yeah, right. But there's something because of having that echo of the tangent universe. I I talk about it in the article, but this movie kind of has some Inception vibes to it, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that you know, in Inception, the whole thing is that you plant this idea, and that that can infect people beyond the time that they wake up and have a lasting impact. And it's like we see that in that wave that they can't point to why they feel a connection. And the fact that it's the mother of Donnie with the love interest of Donnie, there's some kind of shared connection via Donnie there Mm. that causes them to span the grief, the curiosity, all the emotion, and just have this moment of interaction that is simple. It's just a gesture but it conveys so much i think that's really cool in terms of getting at the lasting impact or the the legacy somebody can have on the world that even if you don't know of the impact like we're all here because of things people did thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of years ago right. and we're just the chain of all of these events that have happened which is kind of wild to think about. You don't know the number of people that have made an impact on your life through things that they did and loss and not being here. Yeah. (sighs) It's kind of... It's a wild thing to kind of be hinting at at the end or try to encapsulate at the end of this movie. And I don't think it's something that a lot of movies attempt (laughs) to... Touch upon mm. so the fact that this one does, I think, is one of the reasons why it has such a profound, even if you can't explain it, a profound impact on so many people, or yeah, leaves people feeling something that they might not be able to explain.
1: You know, that all of this is making me think of one thing in this movie. I had never really noticed. I mean, obviously, I'd noticed it. I I know the scene, but I had never really thought about it. Um, and maybe you wrote about this in your article. By the way, Chris wrote about this movie f- for Film Colossus. Have you updated that article before?
0: Uh, no, haven't updated it. Okay, but I need to write like a whole, a whole, <laughs> a whole thing. Update it by completely redoing it. Yeah.
1: Um. But the, did you talk about the Frankie Fiedler scene? Which-
0: uh who's Frankie okay
1: so it's (laughs) so I thought maybe by saying that you would just know instantly but I'm being a little cryptic the Frank the the boyfriend that's the artist uh no um so there's the scene after the jet engine falls in the house and Donnie and his family are staying at the Holiday Inn yeah and the dad is lying in bed with the mom and he can't help but think of this kid Frankie Fiedler who died Um, who went to their school um and I feel like the implication here is that, like, this kid, Frankie Fiedler, died and was, like, the old Donnie Darko. Like, a Donnie Darko that existed 30 years ago or whatever that had to go through the same thing Donnie went through and save the universe. And then he's reincarnated as Frank in the Tangent Universe. Like, he comes back to warn, like, the new kid who has to save. And, you know, in 30 years from now, Donnie will come back as maybe he'll be a frightening chicken or something. Who knows? But he's going like, to tell some kid uh uh, save the world and, it, and you know, it makes me think of everything we're talking about that like things are cyclical that like people are connected that we're affected by people in the ways we don't know and it's just so interesting that there could be like there's always going to be the savior figure in
0: this town who has to come forward
1: and save the world you know
0: yeah I noted that conversation uh, this time now that you yeah. uh, said it but I haven't looked into it yet in terms of like piecing it together that's a that's a good call that does feel like something that's put in there as a bit of a a signpost yeah and it's
1: the scene in the director's cut it's a little extended like he talks about like he thinks somebody was watching over Donnie so it kind of plays into that whole idea a little bit more
0: yeah I have down in my notes uh the quote of somebody was watching over him yeah so Um, that's cool Yeah, somebody was watching over him. There's also something like... He asked Frank how Frank got his name, and he said it was my father's name and my father before his. Oh, wow. So... I don't know if we're supposed to think that, like, the Frank that runs over Gretchen (laughs) um, is somehow related because the dad says that that kid died in high school, right? Yeah. So you wouldn't imagine that he had a kid? I mean, it's still possible, but um like if uh donnie and gretchen slept together it's possible that donnie had a kid in this movie yeah oh no it's a tangent universe no it's not sorry sorry well
1: (laughs) yeah but who knows we don't know how pregnancies in the tangent universe work like maybe he is the spiritual father whatever kid gretchen goes up to have
0: yeah, there's a whole thing you could dive into. I also <laughs> forgot about Gretchen getting run over completely yeah. um, as I said that. <laughs> but uh, wow. there is something interesting to that. And just all the religious stuff that kind of comes in, the political stuff that comes in. Uh, if, there's a lot of areas that this movie's touching on, which you mentioned earlier, that it's bold, it's ambitious, it's saying something, uh, it's hard like i find it hard not to admire
1: this movie yeah i'm i was blown away by it. i mean i've seen it several times and i felt more blown away by it in this last watch that i never had before nice nice well then rankings travis well one last thing i want to say and i guess this goes without saying again but everybody in this movie does such a good job um Even like the bullies, (laughs) like Seth, seeing Seth, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Rogan? I wanted to say Seth Green. I I almost said it like five times. (laughs) Um, Seth Green and Alex Greenwald as the bullies are so great. Beth Granis Kitty is awesome. Patrick Swayze is like, he's the best. The mom and dad are awesome. Um, But who was I going to know? Oh, Jenna Malone. I, I have grown to absolutely adore Jenna Malone. Um, I really like her in Nicholas wanting Refn's movies. She's like in the neon demon and she's in his Amazon show. Um, but I just think she's awesome. And now every time I see her in this movie, I'm just like, wow, she had it like early. Like she knew what she was doing. And uh, there's this moment in the movie that I, I learned about from listening to the uh, watching. There's like a making of documentary on the arrow uh, Blu-ray and there's this moment where she where you first see her at her locker she's looking in the mirror and the the <laughs> dp who is um great dp uh steven poster who worked with richard kelly after this movie on all of his movies um i accidentally made two more movies but still um there's he couldn't get like a shot of jenna malone's face properly like you see her in the mirror but when she turns he couldn't get her face because it was engulfed in shadow and he said like hey just like look up at the ceiling light when you turn around from your locker and it's like a strange uh cue to give somebody like that's not a natural thing to do like why would you turn around and like look up but she does And it looks so natural. Like, she didn't even question it. She's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And she does it so effortlessly that now every time I watch this movie, I'm going to note that moment (laughs) and just think, like, wow. Like, that's how good she is, that she can do something, like, so strange like that and make it look so wonderful. (laughs) And you see her face, like, lit up. And it's just, it's so, it's such a cool moment.
0: It's always fun diving into things like that when you start to become so close to a movie that you start knowing those little details and it just continues to add to the the affection that you have for it yeah totally um i it is probably worth mentioning too there's the sequel s (laughs) darko yeah i've never seen that one i haven't either kelly had nothing to do with it yeah um (laughs) it says in the wikipedia article that he said he resents being asked about the sequel and that he had never seen it Um, which is pretty funny. And then he did say in 2017 that he had new ideas for a sequel. Wow. And in 2021, January of 2021, uh, uh, he announced that an enormous amount of work had been done on the script. So I guess he had some time during COVID to um, do some work. But I don't think there's been an update since then. I I had a feeling we were going to get something from him because, what, The Box?
1: When did The Box come out? That was his last movie. I have no idea. The Box came out in 2009. Um, and he kind of got, like, you know, that, like, Hollywood canceled thing that happens to people <laughs> where, like, his movies were just, like, too weird and not following the rules that, like, movies are supposed to be following. Like, he got away with it in Donnie Darko, but, like, South End Tales was a failure and The Box was weird um, So, like, he just wasn't allowed to make movies after that. He was, like, in movie jail. But in the last few years with, um, you know, Donnie Darko, of course, like, has always had a following. And then Southland Tales kind of had a resurgence with it, getting the director's cut and getting a re-release from Arrow and all that. I just had this feeling that, like, oh, Richard Kelly's really going to ride this momentum and, like, do something weird soon. And it's awesome to hear that he's thinking of a sequel.
0: Well, so he did an interview with the film stage in July of 2023. So just like very recently, and it's, uh, I guess, a a very rare thing for him to give an interview. Oh, wow. And uh, apparently they said they weren't allowed to ask him about anything that he's been working on. (laughs) That was like one condition of the interview. (laughs) So there's nothing uh, about anything... That he's been working on he did just say that he's been working with like major studios on things and has been like rigorously uh dedicated to this kind of stuff and that he has some exciting things it's just it all takes such a long time and it's very frustrating how long it takes <laughs>
1: he well he's he's
0: well aware of that i'm sure just from his career yeah so We'll see. It's at least nice that he did some press and that there might be something going on. But even with, as you said, his pedigree, he can't, he hasn't had things made. Like, we have no idea.
1: I just think whenever he has an idea for a movie and like what he wants it to be, it must sound intimidating and too ambitious for studios to, like, especially after seeing Southland Tales fail like it did like when he has a weird idea they're gonna be like yeah but like is anyone gonna pay to watch this you know
0: mm-hmm. i will <laughs> i will i'll be there opening night uh if we so oh so there's a comment on this post from uh jim brunzel who we know uh do it jim uh is a festival director yeah and had worked with uh AGLIF in Austin and the Minneapolis Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So he said we brought him to Minneapolis in 2016, screen Donnie Darko there. in Southland. That's what you went to? Yeah, I was at that. Oh, that's the thing that you went to. Yeah, was, Jim was there. I
1: tried to go to the Donnie Darko one, but was happy to go to the
0: Southland Tales one. That's funny cuz I think we had I think you had just met Jim like the year before at huh. Sundance. Yeah. Uh, we all ate in that hotel ballroom or something. Yeah, I remember that. Um, And he did talk about his numerous screenplays he wanted to direct. He did mention he did some polish and rewriting work for some Hollywood scripts, so he could be working behind behind the scenes. But now that there is a writer's strike, who knows? I Stand By Southland Tales is one of the boldest, strangest films in the 21st century with a wild cast, and I still watch it every 4th of July (laughs) and still find different (laughs) Easter eggs each time. Uh, I hope he still directs. He's around 46, 47 and is a talented guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would be cool if he came back. Yeah. All right. Where do you got for rankings? Um, Looking at this here, uh, I'm just realizing that I need to add a few movies to this. I, I'm I'm above... God, damn it. I always forget we need to explain the rankings. Um, <laughs> the rankings are... We're basically ranking every movie we watch since we started these lists. So I started mine... At the beginning of 2022. Chris started in July of 2022. Yeah. yeah. Uh so which is why I have a lot more movies. I'm up to four hundred and fifty something. Um I don't know how many movies are actually on it. It wouldn't affect where Donnie Darko is because it's up very high. Um, but on my list, Donnie Darko of all those movies is ranked number twenty seven. Okay. And what's the sandwich? The sandwich here. Um so, so like twenty seven, that's that's super high. Like that's up there with yeah. my faves. <laughs> So we got. It's top one percent. We're starting with "There Will Be Blood." Okay, scream. Okay, love, love, scream. Donny Darko, Drive, which we've talked about in this podcast, <laughs> and uh, a little-known movie called Tammy and the T Rex, uh, Paul Walker and Denise Richards' first movie, a very, very strange kind of, sort of B movie about
0: Paul Walker turns into an animatronic dinosaur. It's awesome. It's. I mean, bad. that idea is awesome. I've never seen the movie, it's, but it, I feel like also I would awesome. love it. <laughs> okay, nice. That's a such a strange range of movies. I, it's so Travis. That's
1: every single every single time I do a sandwich, you're gonna be like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs>
0: it's like there will be blood on one end and Tammy and the T Rex <laughs> on the other end. I like them pretty much equally. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have hundred fifty nine movies. So, a lot less um I have Donnie Darko in the tier two, so it's not in my mm-hmm. like tier one colossal, but tier two amazing um at number twenty nice, so pretty high, but not top one percent so high, yeah, uh, the sandwich I have above it. I have x. I think that has to change. I think I like Donnie Dark. Yeah, wait. I'm, I'm constantly shifting my movies. Yeah, I'm moving that down to. I did it as we were act- sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I have. This might be recency bias, but I have Bottoms, <laughs> and then Barbarian. Okay. Um, which like Bottoms just, you know, good comedies are hard to find. Sure, these it's days. a great movie. Um, Barbarian is just like my kind of movie. Yeah. And then Donnie Darko, yeah. And then I have X because there's just something to X and the thematic exploration of like aging and rediscovery of youth mm-hmm. and yeah, it's cool. And then RRR. Oh, man.
1: That would be a great like five movie lineup for a movie night.
0: <laughs> right. You're hitting all the flavors there. I imagine watching five movies and you, the last one is RRR, R, R, where you're just like, all right, we have watched yeah. eight hours of movies and now we have a three-hour finale.
1: But you need something with a lot of energy to keep you up, so.
0: Yeah, that would that would accomplish it. Okay, that's Donnie Darko. Donnie goddamn Darko. I
1: feel like it must have been one of Patrick Swayze's last movies.
0: That's a good question. Let's see. Was...
1: No, nah, he made a few more after that. It, there's just a bunch of movies that like, I've never even heard of. He does such a good job. I mean, he's the best. He, he plays that character so well. <laughs> just like bullshitting self-help guru. Like it's perfect.
0: Yeah. When he's on stage talking to the kids, it's just like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs>
1: that seems great. That seems also great because um, again, I assume this is what, Steven Poster, the DP brought in, like, just really, it, th- there's just a sense of, like, expertise to the way the movie's shot that I, while I love Richard Kelly to death, like, I don't think he would have quite had the know-how <laughs> to pull some of these scenes off. Like, that scene is suddenly shot with a shaky cam, you know, and it has, like, a completely different feel, like, it feels very, like, kind of, like, urgent and ridiculous, like, you're actually there. And it gives the scene like the sense it needs. It's just so cool that like all those little decisions are made throughout that I've just noticed from watching it so many times. Yeah, it makes
0: it feel far more like a school assembly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. And
1: next time we know what we're doing, right? Yeah, Blade Runner, the one. The this is like as far as I know, like the well, besides Fight Club, like the Chris movie.
0: Yeah, it's in my top fi- like my actual top five, yeah. not my... I mean, it's in my top five on the list, yeah. but like of the movies I've actually seen in my life yeah. <laughs> and ranking, it's in my top five. Oh, man. Okay.
1: I'm excited to talk about it. It's a movie... Yeah. I just rewatched it, and it's only the second time I've seen it, Um, and it's just... Before I had just watched it, it was not a movie I remembered really that well.
0: Oh, I'm excited to hear about this, then.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Like, I i'll leave it at that like i I, i'm i really want to hear what you love so much about it
0: okay (laughs) i'm not saying
1: that as i I really enjoyed it but like i'm interested to dive into that realm of chris okay beautiful perfect um but okay everybody knows what time it is yeah what do we say to the people all right everybody listen up because it's time for lights camera see see ya ya. (laughs) i think we did it i think that was good
0: I don't think we did at all. I think we did it. (laughs) I think it's on purpose at this point.